Hello everybody! Congratulations on a much better week than the first two. And while we won't be celebrating that hard just yet after two wins, it's definitely better than what was happening before. So my name is Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher as usual. Hello, John. Hello, Dan. Isn't it great that our favorite hockey team is not in last place in the Metropolitan Division for at least one day? <laughs> yeah, maybe even a couple more hours at the time of recording, because uh, I think Philly currently has a lead on Vegas, so... Yes, but the Rangers lost on Sunday, so they can't. So the Devils can't be last. Oh, God bless. Forget the games in hand. The Devils are back to their winning ways that never existed this season, but have in the past, I assure you. We've all been there. And yeah, we come to you, you know, obviously last week and the week before were extremely difficult ones for the team. It looked pretty bleak. It looked like people weren't really figuring out how to really play the game to whatever identity they had. And the move that was made, the, basically the first thing that happened after we uh, posted the podcast was Tom Fitzgerald, assistant GM, going behind the bench. And while you may ask a bunch of people, what would be your solution to figuring out this six loss streak? Not a lot of them would say, throw the assistant GM behind the bench. Two wins later, uh, I don't know how much he directly had to do with it, but the results, you know, the results speak for themselves. They now have two more wins than they did before this week started. So let's break those down and before we start doing that, what was your impression of them making that move right when it was announced? My impression, Dan, was that this was a forebearer of things to come. We, we talked in the last episode of team lost six straight. They blew yet another big lead at home. How can this coaching staff stay? How can the players not react to this? What big thing is going to happen? Well, having a member of management literally you know, stand over your shoulder whether or not you're a player, whether or not you're an assistant coach, whether or not you're John Hines, that's a sign of pressure. That's a sign of something's going to happen, but someone's got to see it firsthand before we're going to do this. So they have a full understanding of what's happening. And I think to an extent that still is what's happening. They won two games. But as I understand it, Tom Fitzgerald is still behind the bench. And I think the plan is he's still going to be behind the bench. So my impression was that if the team was, say, going to lose the – lose the game against the Rangers, lose the game against Vancouver, and do so in an embarrassing fashion like they did against Winnipeg and like they did against Florida, then maybe we would be talking about interim head coach Tom Fitzgerald. Right. And it's interesting because it seems like the first thing he did at practice was give the players individual attention. I don't think that's something mm -hmm. that Hines didn't do, but it, maybe a different voice sparked him in a certain way. And again, when... You're uh, essentially your team dad that's not Ray Shiro is watching over you and making sure that you are playing to the abilities that the team knows that you have and they want to be able to put a little more faith in this roster. Shiro said exactly as much. And again, he is a quote machine, that man. But it seemed like the message got through as they spent the next two games. They, they look pretty good the next two games. Now, granted, it's mm. against the Rangers and the Canucks. And for the most part, the Rangers are not a very good team. And the Canucks no. are decent, but they were traveling uh, west to east. So there's a lot of factors that went into it. But regardless, the results are the results. And they got two wins in two games. And weirdly enough, don't play until Friday now. Yep. I mean, when you start the season 0-4-2, you don't really care that much about how you get that first win in so much as that you get that first win. And the Devils got their first win. They got their second win. 
They have they have to wait a while, but they have at least enough time to practice and prepare for not just the game on Friday, but for the games coming up. Because after you, after you get past the October 30th game against Tampa Bay, the Devils do not get a break in their schedule for more than two days up until the middle of December. Wow. And the next and the second time they have such a break will be for Christmas. So what that means is that there's going to be a lot of games coming up very, very soon. So get your practices in now, get that attention to detail sorted out because before you know it, they're not going to have the time to do that. Everybody's just going to be too tired. They're going to be traveling. They're going to be too focused on the short-term situation than to take a step back and say, what do we need to do to improve as a team? Yeah, I mean, what a terrible time to have almost a full week off after you finally get your first two wins. You want to keep playing. You want to keep that momentum rolling, but they have to find a way to keep up the intensity at practice. And uh, Schneider talked about as doing as much um, today. His his practice quotes were basically exactly that. It's we have to keep up the intensity because we're not going to see a game for a while. So mm-hmm. we have to make sure we carry over whatever we've been doing. And while it hasn't been perfect by any means, the special teams seem to have found something or other. They have a power play goal in each of their last two games. The penalty kill has been pretty stellar uh, in these two wins. And Jack Hughes finally got the monkey off his back while Blackwood has been spectacular. So what else has changed that you've seen besides, you know, the big obvious storylines? Well, do you want a positive change or do you want a negative change? Let's do one of each. Okay. We'll start with the negative. We'll get the negative out of the way first. The negative change has been the penalties. Part of the problem with having a great penalty kill is that, you don't want to really be on the penalty kill. Ironically, the best penalty kill is the one you never have to kill. Right. The Devils tested that theory not so much against the Rangers. They were fairly well disciplined against the Rangers. They, they took a couple calls that maybe they shouldn't have, and it got heated at times because, you know, hey, our hated rivals and all that. But the Vancouver game, woof! <laughs> guys, guys, I'd never understood this, but for the last three or four years, all the Vancouver Devils games in Newark have always been penalty fests. For either one side, both sides, or the devil's side. Just just some crazy nonsense happens between the two teams that I can never figure out, and they just get extra salty at each other. I've seen Devil's Flyers games that are more disciplined than this. The Devils just kind of lost their minds against Vancouver, and in a way, they were kind of fortunate that Vancouver never punished them for their uh, sins against the rulebook, so to speak. So that's a negative change. If, if there's one thing the Devils really do need to clean up going forward is that uh, they can't afford to take as many penalties as they did on Saturday. And they do need to be careful in general since Blake Coleman is still prone to taking penalties. David Severson is still ta- prone to taking penalties. A guy like P.K. Subban, who's a very intense player, you know, if he's having a rough night or he's feeling extra beefy, I'll say, he's likely to get more calls. Wayne Simmons is a guy who's not unfamiliar with the penalty box miles wood do i need to explain how how miles wood is relative related to the penalty box because he is so when you go up against the arizonas the tampa bays the phillies the carolinas other teams coming up on the schedule those power plays could burn you and that could cost you some games that the devils can ill afford so that's a negative change that i'd like to see the devils turn around as they have these additional practices and video sessions and other conversations ahead of friday's game so You want to talk about a positive change, though, don't you, Dan? Oh, I do. Okay. Defensively, there have been plenty of issues about zone exits, and they're still there. And there have been issues with breakouts. They're still there. And there's definitely issues with what happens when the Devils get stuck in their own end. There's definitely a lot of cause for alarm as players are just kind of getting lost in the sauce, so to speak. However, one thing that has improved has been how many shots they've been allowing. They've actually done a very good job against 
the New York Rangers with this. They kind of limited the Rangers to a relatively no, low number of shots. And while Vancouver outdid them in the run of play, so to speak, remember, New Jersey led for most of that game, one nothing. I mean, score effects are a real thing in analytics. If you're down by just one goal in a one nothing game, of course the other team's going to take more shooting attempts than you. Of course they're going to have a higher expected goals rate than you. But at the end of the day, in a one-shot game, who held them to five shots in the third period? The Devils. Who held Vancouver to less than, what was it, Less they had 25 shots total, less than 30, in a one-shot game? The Devils. So despite all the complaints, legitimate and otherwise, about Subban and Mueller and Severson and Green and, you know, pick, pick your players, the Devils actually got the job done from a shot perspective against the Rangers in Vancouver, and that did help out Blackwood to have the good performances that he did. Don't get me wrong. There have been there were a number of bailout moments by Mr. Uh, Mr. Blackwood. But the point is, is that this was not a defense that was getting torched, and that bodes well for the future. Yeah, I mean, that kind of rolls into what my positive takeaway was from the week. Watching the, the games and really the highlights of the Vancouver game, unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch the whole contest. Uh, P.K. Subban looks like P.K. Subban. He looked amazing in the Ranger game. He was completely dominant. Uh, and the defense really stepped up in the absences of Andy Green and Will Butcher. Let's not forget that all, you know, those two games were played without Nico Heischer as well. It was a very defensively responsive, uh, responsible center. So it was a formula for disaster that they kind of held the fort through those two games. And yeah, Blackwood definitely had to bail them out. But you're right. They did control how many opportunities he saw and they managed to yield results out of that. So that that would be my big positive. The defense really, really stepping up in a big way. And one negative that I'd have to say is that we're paying $4.5 million a year to put Nikita Gusev basically on the fourth line and have him play eight minutes a game. Gusev and Brat barely saw the ice in these games. And for some reason, when they're holding a one nothing lead, we're throwing out the Rooney, Hayden, and who else? Wood is on that line? Yeah, Wood. So those guys saw almost double the ice time that Gusev and Brat and I guess whoever else would be paired with them, Zaka, but Zaka has been moving up and down with Heischer absent. Whoever's yeah. paired with them is not seeing the ice much at all. And I get the merit of that. Vancouver's a very physical team and those guys kind of get pushed around a little more. But Rooney, Hayden and Wood were the guys taking all those penalties in the Vancouver game. They're the ones getting chippy and causing the penalty kill to have to perform. And again, without Andy Green, it was a formula for disaster, but they found a way, and I hope that that discipline can turn around, but I'm not really understanding why before, maybe before the third period, they're barely seeing the ice at all. Well, again, this this was a game, the Vancouver game had so many penalties in it, in it Dan, that there was less than 40 minutes of five-on-five five ice time in that game. That's a crazy amount of special teams play. When you think about it, that's a full period's worth of special teams play, either by the Devils or by the Canucks. That is excessive. And unfortunately for guys like Gusev, Brat, and to a lesser extent, Hughes, you can't trust those three players. Maybe you could with Brat, but you can't trust Gusev in defensive situations or close games because he has been very poor off the puck. Like he doesn't help enough on defense. He doesn't really know what he's doing. I don't fully blame him. He's still, this is something that you have to acclimate to, to being an NHL player, the stuff that you didn't necessarily have to worry about on the bigger ice ranks or 
in the talent levels of the KHL, or maybe you had other players that would just do it for you. But in the NHL, everyone's got to help, and Gusev just doesn't know how to do that. And Hughes is still learning that as well. So I do think some of the issues were a little overblown. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers from natural stat trick here because I missed the Vancouver game as well. Uh, Gusev played six minutes and seven seconds of five-on-five ice time, the least amount on the Devils. When he was on the ice, Vancouver outshot the Devils uh, 4-1. And out, out attempted them 6-3, which and out chanced them 5-1, which kind of speaks to what I was just saying, is that either the matchup was just that rough or, and or I should say, Gusev just really struggles in those situations. And Bratt wasn't much better. Hughes wasn't much better. Granted, neither were Rooney, Wood, or Hayden for that matter. But uh, the difference is, is that I guess with Rooney, Wood, and Hayden, you're not super surprised if that's the case. But even then, Rooney played two minutes and 20 seconds more than Gusev. I mean, Hayden played a lot more, but when I say a lot more, we're talking about three and a half minutes here. I mean, this was a game that was that had even strength ice time at, at a premium. So I, I understand the frustration, but until Gusev gets better at playing, for lack of a better term, two-way hockey, not, real, not understanding that there is a defensive component to the game, and uh, until Hughes gets better at that and Brett also gets better at that because he hasn't been that good in the run of play either. This is what you're going to continue to see. Now, again, I will agree. Rooney, Hayden, and Wood should not be playing this much because they're not good at five on five either. It's basically a pick your poison situation. Yes, yeah, so I'm wondering if there's any sort of combination they can make. So when they started sheltering Jack Hughes, he started performing a lot better uh, in the possession metrics. You know, his his matchups were slightly easier. He's paired with two defensively responsible guys and mm-hmm. two much bigger guys who can protect him a little more. Is there a way to do the same thing for Gusev, for Brat? I mean, it, it's it kind of feels bad to have those two very skilled guys kind of gulagged because they can't both be on the ice at the same time or risk getting caved in. But as we saw with Hughes playing with Coleman and Simmons, it worked very, very well and it's continued to work well. And while Hughes has seen some first line time, given the Heischer injury, because I mean, who else would you want up there? It's, it's not going to last when Heischer's back and he's been practicing. So Hughes is probably going to be moved down to that line again. And uh, that's not the worst thing in the world. So what can be done to kind of alleviate some of this pressure from those guys so they can find their legs defensively? Well, first and foremost, they have to have home games because the best way to shelter a player, protect them, so to speak, is to have that last line change. So you do have a measure of control on who they go out against. Now, granted, this requires the coaches to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And there is there is a logic to saying, look, ideally, you, you would want, you know, you want to match up power for power or you want to match up Zajac's line against the other team's best or however you want to go about it. But you don't want a tired line that in theory would be great, except that they're tired and they just got run over compared to a shit, uh, a bunch of guys who are fresh, but may not be so good. So, I mean, th- that argument's always going to be there, but all things being equal, get that. If you have the last line change, utilize it. Second, you totally could mix up lines further to, um, protect Gusev or protect Hughes or protect Pratt. But the thing is, is that you don't want to build your entire lineup around who you're going to protect Mm -hmm. to a degree. You need to have these players prove that they truly belong in this league. And that means to with as charitably as I could put it, you have to be willing to take some lumps here and there and learn. I mean, that's really why I keep my opinion is that Gusev and Hughes and others have to be better 
as opposed to, well, the coaches have to figure out a better way to utilize these guys. It's an 82-game season, so I, I have some hope that once Gusev gets better at this, Hughes gets better at this, Bratt sorts himself out because he's a, he's normally a lot better than this. Then the coaches can start playing around with giving them more ice time, bigger lines, bigger responsibilities, and having those options. I think one of the things that we both undersold, and I think a lot of fans undersold, is the acclimation process to the NHL, not having that extra half second or second to make a play. And just as importantly, realizing that even the third pairing defenseman on the other team can step up on you and make a big play and deny you the puck. Whereas uh, if you're not ready for it, then you know, you're going to get caught up ice and then you're not helping on defense already. So ultimately the best way ideally would be for, these guys to learn to be better off the puck. And that requires what they're doing right now, which means drill, practice, do video sessions, have those one-on-one conversations or group meetings where you, you watch the tape and you say, look, when the, when the center shifts over this way, one of you wingers needs to drop into the slot to protect the slot. Or if you're not sure what to do when you get the puck on defense, do not try to skate it around your net, (laughs) chip it up the boards or better yet, hang back and look for a passing option from a safer place like the corner instead of just trying to fire it up the middle. Something to that effect. Because ultimately, I think these are things that are teachable. These are things that are worth practicing. And um, they need to be done because as much as you can shift Gusev around to play with responsible players like Zajac or Coleman or pair up Zako with uh, Brat and hope that that could help each other out from a five-on-five perspective – the reality is the best way forward is that for the guys to learn so this way you have the viable options and then you can keep your fourth line as exactly what they should be, a fourth line. Right, and who knew that Zaka would be such a stabilizing presence in the roster, you know, when he was having well, his whole contract dispute? Well, again, you know, he, he's – you have to give the guy a little credit. Like he got run over in the Vancouver game as well, but sort of a lot of devils. And even then we're talking about 10 minutes of ice time here at 5-on-5, five five, which isn't very much because, again, there was very little 5-on-5 five five ice time in that game. Right. But Zaka is an experienced NHL player at this point. He's been in the league for, what, four seasons now? But the point is that this is not his first time in the NHL. He's had over 100 games of NHL experience. He's getting close to 200 games of NHL experience. So he has a general understanding of what to expect, how quickly you have to learn, how quickly you have to react. And I don't think it's an accident that he's starting to finally put some of the puzzle pieces together in the last couple games because – this is the sort of thing that you have to learn over time with, and some players get it much faster than those. He sure figured it out pretty quickly compared to most players. For Zaka, it took a couple seasons and a couple of lumps and a couple of humbling moments. But now we're starting to see more of the finished product from him, and now we're going, oh, Zaka is actually a decent hockey player. Who knew? Yeah, and uh, I mean a couple of the other talking points from these two games. Matt Tennyson putting up two assists against the Rangers, and he has now been sent back down to the AHL with a healthy Andy Green. So it looks like he's probably going to be the first call-up in an injury situation continuously. Is is that fair to assume at this point? For defense, absolutely, because who are your other options in Binghamton? Right, I mean Joe Morrow. <laughs> Colton White, with, Josh Jacobs. If we're talking NHL experience, it's literally two guys left. Pretty much. So it's not... It's not ideal, but hey, he got his two assists. They led to a win, so good for them. And again, Hughes, it must have felt amazing to get first point and then first goal in consecutive games. And that first goal in front of 75 members of his family who came through because he's playing against his brother. They each got something to brag about in that game as Quinn juked him out at the blue line on a play. But 
Jack got the last laugh with the game-winning power play goal, so good for him. Hopefully this opens up the floodgates and he starts producing way more as, you know, we all know he can, but it, it takes time. Again, he's another player that we discussed in past episodes of Garden State of Hockey where he's definitely one of those players that's realizing the hard way that you need you don't get that extra half second to make a move or that extra hesitation from a defender that you can just beat him around. You have to play much more quickly. You have to react much more quickly. And you can't take as many risks as he's used to. But he's starting to put that together. And I'm finally happy that it's resulting in production. Okay, the first assist was a bit fortunate since it went off Miles Wood's bottom. I mean, you can't predict Miles Wood's bottom is going to help you score goals every night. If it did, I'm sure Miles Wood would be a lot more popular. That being said, the goal he did score was very sweet. Uh, Hall's pass was a little fortunate to get through traffic, but right. it was but it was true. It got all the way through. They ran the cross-ice play as, as they wanted. It connected. Hughes didn't hesitate. He just one-timed it, and it was beautiful. Like, no goalie in the world was going to stop that uh, easily, and Demko, as good as he is, did it. It was a great goal. That's the sort of goal that uh, you will tell your kids, your future kids, your kids, my kids, Jack Hughes' kids, maybe even Quinn Hughes' kids. Uh, you know, you're going to talk about that for years to come. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great. The celebration, you can tell that he's... He so wanted this. I bet he's been seeing some of the scorching hot takes. And again, I don't know if that's ever affected him really, but it's got to weigh on someone at least a little bit. And finally, you get that monkey off your back and say, hey, look, I did it. I scored in the NHL. Now I'm going to go out there and do it a bunch more times. Absolutely. I mean, he's going to have a very long career. So in the bigger scheme of things, is anybody going to pay attention to the first seven games of the season? No, no, they're not right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, by no means is that indicative of anything. Again, we we all saw that graphic about how long it took former first overalls to get their first points and assists and goals and whatever it is. So it's fine. We're all fine, and finally we can stop talking about when he's going to get his first goal. That's that's the part that I'm happiest about, to be honest with you. Yeah, a part of me w does wish that Hughes did get his first goal against our hated rivals, mostly because uh, Alexander Georgiev was terrible on Thursday night. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to have a criticism of Blackwood here. Blackwood, if he has a weakness that has been noticeable in this season so far, even in the two wins, it's been at uh, covering up pucks that are around him. So, And he has been burnt a couple times by this. He got burnt in the Buffalo game. He tried to trap it with his glove, and it got poked through and led to an easy goal for Buffalo. Uh, against the Rangers, he... Instead of trying to cover the puck, he kind of pushed it forward, and that led to the Rangers scoring very early in that game. Against Vancouver early on, he tried to do the same thing. He failed to cover it. Thankfully, the ref lost sight of it, even though it was still loose and Vancouver scored, but it got wiped off the board early in the game. So Blackwood needs to improve in that. But compared to Georgiev, he, he has the tightest glove in the league because Georgiev literally could not catch a puck that night. He literally had a stray puck he reached out to grab it and it just dropped out of his glove yeah he he, he looked you know if I don't, i'm not a big baseball guy dan i think you're a big baseball guy is there a concept called the error <laughs> i mean getting this hit man in the would have racked up the ease how about the getting hit in the face and then having the puck go through his legs right after that for the how tying you, goal how do you how do you even do that That's... how do you have a puck hit you in the face and then it dropped down and it goes through the back of your legs i get it it's a vulcanized rubber disc on an ice surface, 
I get it. But That's, the physics you know, are still wonky. The physics, the, the physics are still remarkably unfavorable for that to happen. <laughs> right. I mean, good for Blake Coleman for taking the shot. Again, this is oh, something yeah, it was that, a good shot to take. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's something that a lot of people may have overpassed in that situation, seeing him completely squared up to the shot. But Blake Coleman just kind of ripped it at him and hoped for the best and the best occurred. Yeah, but this, but Georgia have had so many issues holding on to the puck, controlling the puck, grabbing the puck that I would have hoped that Hughes would have gotten his goal. Simmons was very close to just patching in uh, a rebound right through the body. Um, he just, it just got caught under his skates almost every time. Like he was just terrible, absolutely terrible. But in a way, I'm also glad that Hughes did get his goal against a much better goaltender in Thatcher Demko. And not only that, but it was a very good goal. It wasn't a case that Demko, I don't know, swiped at it with his glove and he knocked it, in, knocked the back of it into into the net or something like that, or something weird like that. It was like a legitimately good goal, a goal scorer's goal, as uh, the older uh, crowd likes to say. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it, it's good vibes right now. They've obviously shaken something off and found ways to actually hold on to leads at home and granted again these are home games against in one case a team that is not very good as we've seen after their first two games and a team that had to do a lot of travel to get there but most importantly they are still wins those are then games that you have to win if you have any sort of semblance of making the playoffs so again i hopefully they take advantage of the rest of this homestand and which starts or sorry which continues with the Arizona Coyotes on Friday. So now that's going to be a tough one because yeah, but, I don't know if you know this Dan, but Arizona has the fewest amount of goals allowed in the entire NHL right now. Mm-hmm. Like even though they've only played 7 games, but there are teams with only 6 games played that have given up more goals than them. They only have allowed 13. That's an average of under 2 goals per game. So goals are going to be kind of hard to come by in that game. Yeah. So hopefully the Devils either blow them up which would be great because Arizona will have played the night before at least. Mm-hmm. So that would be in their favor, but do not go into this game expecting the devils to drop a five spot on Arizona unless their goaltending just has this incredibly bad night. Right. And they don't have the benefit of having the historical advantage against them as well, which is a weird thing about the Vancouver Canucks. The devils very low key have a 10 game winning streak against them, which is yeah. completely unexpected because I've just seen them have long losing streaks against teams or just play teams generally poorly. I'm looking at Winnipeg and San Jose. Most of all, uh, they really cannot play either of those two teams. It seems, but I guess against Vancouver, they're, either pretty fortunate or they just something about the matchup gets them going because they've beaten them 10 straight times, which is rare to do for one team against any other team. Much less a team that has only made the playoffs one time in the last five seasons. Right. So, yeah, we'll see what happens moving forward. But uh, so far, the change to move Fitzgerald behind the bench has yielded some results. And there's some other uh, moves that we should talk about. But first, we'll take a quick break just to hear a word from our sponsors and get to some transactional news as well. We'll be right back. Welcome back. And there's more news of the day. Again, we want to start off by saying the injured players, most of them are practicing. Will Butcher, I don't know if he was on the ice day. I believe he was, but they put him on IR retroactive to the Ranger game. But the thing about having a game once every week is that he's – he is a possibility to play Friday as well. looks like Green yep. and Heischer are on their way back. So they should be in full force for the rest of his homestand, at least to start out. 
people are complaining about Taylor Hall taking many maintenance days. I Meh. say let the man take as many as he wants. Yeah. Um, Stop whining. <laughs> seriously, I, I don't understand. Like, do you want him to be as healthy as possible for games, or do you want him to run out there every practice? And if he doesn't feel like, you know, uh, there's a difference between not feeling like practicing and not feeling like straining a a sore area that just had surgery on it this offseason. I feel like let the guy take his rest. Who cares? They don't play till Friday anyway. It's going to be fine. Everyone can exhale. It's it's really going to be okay. The biggest transaction that happened since our last recording in terms of the New Jersey Devils is the previously mentioned Nico Heischer getting a seven-year extension with the team for $50.25 million. So it's a 7.25 a year AAV. And there are lots of hot takes around the internet about this because there is a two-season sample size for this man, one of which he was flanked by an AHL lineup, basically, and still managed to improve on his point totals from the year before. So what do you make of this extension? Now, he's a number one center who is 20 years old, locked in for seven more years. I mean, I don't really see how that's going to be an issue at all. And people use comparables with points, but he has led the Devils in a lot of important metrics in his time so far in New Jersey. So when you heard this news, uh, what were you feeling? Great. I'm feeling great. This is a great deal. Uh, it's 50.75 million total, so just a bit under 51 million even. Um, I wrote about this when I got home, uh, was able to write about this, and I want to hit you with some comparables. Let's. Five-on-five five hockey is where Heischer has been playing the most because part of the issues, I think, with Heischer is part of the reason why he doesn't have the bigger numbers is because he's not on a top power play unit and he hasn't been really used a lot on special teams to begin with. And a great way to get your points totals, your point totals boosted is to get power play points. So if you're not on the first unit, well, you're just not going to get it, even if your power play unit isn't very good. Nevertheless, Five-on-five five play, most common situation in hockey. If you want to tell me where you want to get your money, that's where your money should be coming from. Since he came into the league until – well, until – well, he didn't play on Saturday. He was out on IR. But until the last game, his points per 60 minutes in five-on-five five play, according to Natural Stat Trick, is 2.08. That is the second most on the Devils in that time frame. The guy who's ahead of him is, of course, Taylor Hall – who is at 2.48, which is the 15th best in the NHL in that time span. Here are the players surrounding Heischer's 65th best rate in points per 60 minutes in 5-on-5 play. Just ahead of him are Vladimir Tarasenko, Cam Atkinson, and Andrew Shaw. Heischer is just ahead of Nikolai Ehlers, Sean Couturier, Alex Tuck, and Logan Couture. Those are all players, some of which are making more than $7.25 million in their cap hit. Some are making less. But everybody except for Andrew Shaw and, to an extent, Couturier, are getting paid real, real well. And that's just based on basic production. And that doesn't even get into the matters, as you said, where the guy nearly broke even at Corsi 4 percentages, despite the fact that he didn't have Hall for a big chunk of the season. He had bad death behind him for a chunk of the season. He still finished ahead of 50% and expected goals for rate, which means he, when he was on the ice, good things generally happened. So for a guy who isn't even 21 yet, and he's been able to do all these things with and without Hall and with and without an NHL crew behind him at forward, 
that is pretty good. But here's the other tipping point is that he is a fantastic drawer of penalties. He has drawn 1.3 penalties uh, drawn per 60 minutes. That's the 17th best since he's come into the league. And while Miles Wood and Kyle Palmieri are ahead of him in those regards, the difference is that he sure rare, does not take very many penalties. Wood takes a lot of penalties. Palmieri takes a good amount of penalties. He sure very rarely takes penalties. And the only players in the league, in the entire league, Dan, who have a higher penalties drawn rate than Heischer and a lower penalties taken rate than Heischer are Elias Peterson, Johnny Gaudreau, and Ehlers. That's it. Just those three players. So you can make a case that Heischer is maybe the fourth best penalty drawer since he's coming into the league. And this is a guy who's only going to get better. He's gonna, he should be getting penalty killing time. He should be getting a bigger role on the power play. He will continue to be a top center on this team. He's not even 21 yet, Dan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, oh yeah, and the other reason why this is great, and I wrote about this to a degree on Monday uh, when I wrote an incredibly stupendously early look at the Devils free agents, is that with Heischer signed, the Devils got him at a bargain. Because let's think about this, Dan. Let's say Heischer goes on to have an even better season than he ever has done in his first two seasons, which were not bad seasons. He had good seasons. But let's say he has a really good season. Let's say he breaks the 60-point mark. Heck, let's 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 think maybe he breaks 70 points even, you know, and he turns out to be the team's top center. He did, he turns into the team's Bergeron, so to speak. Do you think he's going to settle for just 50, you know, just under $51 million, Dan? No, he wouldn't. Do you think he would settle for seven seasons? Would he not want a shorter term to maximize his potential UFA value down the line like a couple other notable RFAs last year? No. He would want a shorter term. He wouldn't want to accept seven years. So the fact of the matter is that the Devils have bought into three of his UFA years, the th arguably the three best of the three UFA years, because he'll he'll still be very young at that point. And they got him for a rate that could be much, much higher if, if this was being discussed in May as opposed to October. So the Devils bet big on him, but they made a smart bet. And, and if he sure play, performs and improves the way we think he will, it will be a bargain. I love this deal, Dan. Yeah, I mean, the only people who were really like, oh my god, another overpaid player, all this, were people that are not Devils fans. There's a lot of no. people coming out of the woodwork saying, what, he hasn't even produced anything, they're paying for, uh, you know, potential, there are better players in the draft that year. I mean, who cares? Like, it, he's done enough to warrant even just the potential contract that this offers. But the the point is that the production's there. It may not appear unilaterally on the score sheet like other people getting paid the same, but his contributions are extremely valuable to this team, and they will continue to be so for at least the next, uh, I guess, the rest of this year and the seven after. So it's amazing when Devils fans all like something and the other fans are like, oh my God, he's overpaid. Like, what is this? I can't believe he's making more money than this player, this player. It just lets you know that those people really don't pay attention, and you can tell that because he's one of the top 10 most searched names on Hockey Database, uh, or Hockey Reference, I don't remember which one it was, this week. Hockey DB. Okay, so it was Hockey DB, and he was one of the top 10 most searched names because people were trying to come up with that hot take of, oh, he didn't deserve this extension despite not looking further than the surface level point production. The fact of the matter is, once again, if you read all about the jersey. You know what's going on. Compare that to the many people who don't read all about the jersey. Do they know what's going on? Seems no. Checkmate. <laughs>
haters and losers, of which there are many. But no, you're, you you got a good point. And he sure, much like Patrick Eliash before him, yes, I'm invoking Patrick Eliash's name here, in, in that the value that he brings to the team is not necessarily just in the point totals. And this is why things like Corsi and expected goals and penalties drawn and all these other quote-unquote newer stats are valuable because they get to a point to really highlight what a player does on the ice because the truth of the matter is most players don't score every day. Most most players don't score all the time, but yet they get these contracts. Why? Because the coaches and management recognizes what they're doing, and these stats help point to some of what they're doing when they're not hitting the score sheet. So, you know, again, though it's not an accident that the people who are either p- more inclined to analytics or they're more aware of, say, the Dom Lucicians and the Mike and Blake McCurdy's and the natural stat trick sites. That's Brad T. I forget his last uh, name at the moment, but it's Brad T. Sorry, Brad T. Um, if, you, if you're familiar with those sites, then you probably were agreeing with a lot of the devil fans going, yeah, that's a great deal. Whereas if you don't, well, you got shown up on the Internet for not knowing, not knowing much of anything. It is what it is. Go read all about the jersey. Don't be ignorant. Don't don't let me say checkmate again. That sounds really cringy, but I'm not going <laughs> to apologize because I'm a hockey blogger and therefore I don't have to apologize. <laughs> I, I'd edit that in post, but I think we're just going to leave that one in this time around. Yeah, take that, people. <laughs> yeah, so uh, well-deserved <laughs> extension in our opinion. And again, that's who you're listening to. So make of that what you will and feel free to disagree and give some reasons why, but just know that you'll most likely be wrong. And read all about the Jersey anyway. (laughs) Um, Let's see what else we have some other devil's housekeeping to take care of. Do you want to take the, uh, the news about one of the most recent prospects? Absolutely. So you've heard of Jesper Bratt. You've heard of Arntal Vite. You've heard of Jeremy Davies, but have you heard of Nikolo Pasek or Pasek? You know, they don't let you listen to the pronunciation guide for free unless you have an account with Elite Prospects, so I'm hoping I didn't blow that too badly. Nevertheless, the seventh-round pick of the 2019 draft class, uh, he just made the under-20 roster for Sweden for their tournament coming up in November. And this is an important tournament for the U-20 roster for Sweden and for other European nations, in so much that the tournament itself is not so much important, but it's an important for preparations of their World Junior Tournament, which is much later in the end of December, early January. So if you make this roster, they're at least thinking about you. And Mr. Pasek is the only devil on Sweden's list. And he is joined by other forwards like Samuel Fajimo, 2020 hot prospects, Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz. You're also up there with other 2019 first-rounder, Niels Hoaglander. Uh, there are some surprising omissions. I, did, I thought Albin Grew was going to be considered or uh, Johansson was going to be considered. Uh, nevertheless, there is a Johansson on there. He's he's Philip Johansson, the defenseman. He joins Nils Lundqvist. And I mean, is it really Victor a Swedish team without a Johansson? In any case, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make here is that this is not a low-level Swedish squad here that Pasek made. So this does not guarantee that Pasek's going to be playing for Sweden at the World Junior Tournament, the biggest under-20 tournament in the world. However, his odds are looking good. And this is coming after, so far, after 11 games in the Osvenskan with BIK. He has 10 points in 11 games. For anybody under the age of 20, or anybody at any age for that matter, a near point per game rate in your league of choice is very good. And he is doing this with that. And he's doing this just after he's, uh, 
He just turned 19. He actually turned 19 October 16th. So recent happy birthday to Pasek. Congratulations on making the roster for the Swedish under-20 national team. And hopefully you do well at the November tournaments. So the Swedish coaches have to think about taking you to the World Junior Championships. Yeah. I mean, best of luck to him. It seems like it's another late-round draft pick that Ray Shiro and his crew have become known for. I mean, it's those those middle rounds and early rounds that haven't been as great, but those late round guys seem to be hitting more often than not. Well, again, it's an example of being able to do your homework, you know, not just settling for, okay, this guy I saw a bunch of times in junior, he, he's got a limited skill set, but I know he's going to play pro hockey at some point. We just don't know at what level. So we'll just pick him. They I mean, they did take a risk on the guy who played a lot with the under 20 team in Linko ping. So that means you have to do your scouting of the junior leagues of Sweden. Um, in addition to taking checking out his very limited action in the SHL, look at his very limited action with BIK on loan, his limited action with the under-19 team. You know, it takes a lot of work to look at the not-so-heralded junior teams where a lot of these prospects do come out of. And credit to Ray Shero, and more, just as importantly, credit to the scouts based in Sweden for checking this guy out, keeping them in, keeping their names on their draft board, and realizing that in the seventh round, you know what, he's still on the board. Let's take him. Let's see what we got. And if he does make the World Junior Championships and has himself a nice little tournament, even in a limited role, hey, that's a lot better than what most seventh round picks that end up doing. Yeah, you're not wrong. And, you know, that's that's the hallmark of what we've seen. We've seen Jesper Bratt come to camp and make a name for himself. And that's because he got that kind of recognition um, with the with some international play. So hopefully this gives passage and in to uh, show the devils what he's got in future camps. Obviously there may not be room for a little bit of time, but hopefully he develops into another one of those late round draft picks, which ends up being a surprise and provides some value to the NHL squad. So, you know, we're talking about a potential future devil. I want to just touch upon a former devil who signed a deal in the NHL this week, and that's Brian Boyle signing a one-year deal with the Florida Panthers. So congratulations to him. Um, He deserves all the money that man for what he's been through, and he's going to get a raucous cheer when he comes to New Jersey. I think the next time the Florida Panthers roll through is in February. You would be correct. February 11th, 7 p.m., it's a Tuesday night, so get your tickets today. Yeah, and be sure to thank him because he contributed a lot. He was a big reason they, you know, they had the character to get into the playoffs uh, when he was a member of the team. And really, he he contributed so much off the ice. But he was superhuman on hockey fights, cancer nights, everywhere he went. Um, he went through a huge battle, and he's still getting rewarded for it. So good for him. I'm looking forward to seeing how the Devils fans welcome him because everywhere he's gone, he's been nothing but respected, appreciated, and I really do wish him all the best. Yep, he he did very well. He did very well in his role, and there's a reason why he was a fan favorite at every team he plays for. Um, he's an incredibly likable person. He's very brave and very strong to continue playing through leukemia and through his own uh, children's diagnoses. And... Um, he just keeps on grinding. So, again, I will never hate this guy even, unless he does something – well, I'm not even going to go there because I can't imagine Brian Boyle doing anything terrible. Right. Now, in terms of some off-ice news. Well, yeah, speaking of people who at one point made a deal with the devil, we have uh, Jimmy Fallon taking a bet he shouldn't have taken 
oh. with NJ Devil. How do you like that transition? Uh, he made a bet with the New Jersey Devil, our beloved mascot, who is always smiling, even if the team loses six straight to start the season. And he can't change his mouth. <laughs> that's right. And so he's forced into that smile, and it's been uh, all smiles recently as he made a bet with Jimmy Fallon about the result of the Devils-Rangers game. Jimmy Fallon is a Rangers fan, and I'm not sure how much he's actually paying attention to what's been going on, but he took It doesn't matter. He, he's still the enemy. Well, he lost, and uh, NJ <laughs> got to go in studio and deliver a Calandra's pie right to the face of Jimmy Fallon on national television wearing a Ranger jersey. So that felt pretty sweet. And it's a nice little national visibility moment for the squad. Absolutely. And it comes at the behest of slamming another L in front of a Ranger's face. (laughs) (laughs) But an L nonetheless. I understand there's no L in the word pie, but, you know, go with it. It's silent. A pile. Pile. Yeah, he got a (laughs) pile of food in his face. There There you go. go. All right. All right. Uh, in terms of other off-ice news that maybe people have missed, uh, the Devil's Insiders actually pointed this out from uh, Jimmy Murphy, that uh, Brian Strait is, uh, listed, was listed as a scout in a recent uh, game as a scout for the New Jersey Devils. Now, Brian Strait signed with the New Jersey Devils two seasons ago on a two, two-year, two-way contract. So this would have been the second year of the contract. He was a defenseman. He has some NHL experience, but was largely signed to play in Bingman, Binghamton. Well, he suffered a concussion last season and only played in 10 games. And he was on the season-opening injured reserve to start this season. So the fact he was listed as a scout suggests that his time as a hockey player may be done, but his uh, career as a, being in the New Jersey Devils organization is continuing in a different, uh, different position. So I wish him the best, and I wish him the best of luck as a scout. And I credit the Devils for giving him a job in, when they could have just as easily said, no, stay home and do nothing. So... Yeah, there's that there's there's a lot more, you know, it's it's tough because this is a week with not many games going on and not much to preview. There's more happening. They close out the homestand. But really, it's just been the two games. It's been a very weird start to the year schedule wise. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because most of them have been at home. So they do get the opportunity to turn around whatever was happening when the season started. But I'm. I'm very apprehensive as to what will happen after this homestand ends, but no sense worrying about that now. They've got to finish out these next couple games very strong. So, I mean, from my end, that's pretty much all I got. Yep. I mean, they've got the one game on Friday. I already mentioned it. Arizona, their big thing is that they just don't give up a lot of goals. Uh, The good news is that the Arizona Coyotes will be playing their third game in four nights because they play in New York on the 22nd. I believe they play the Islanders on the 24th and they come to New Jersey for the 25th. So the devil should be coming out hard for that game since they'll be on five days rest compared to Arizona's no day rest. But, you know, this is hockey where things happen. After then, you got Tampa Bay on the 30th to close out the month. And then you start a very busy November with a back to back within the division, Philadelphia, Carolina. So you're absolutely right, Dan. They got to get results in the next two home games. Tampa Bay, this is probably the best time to play Tampa Bay. Of course, I say that now, but by the 30th, they may be the most frightening team in the league. Who knows? <laughs> it is what it is. What are you going to do? Uh, but you're absolutely right. The Devils need to take advantage as much as possible because once the road games start coming, we're going to start seeing for real what this team is like. Because as we saw last season, a road trip can really derail things if it goes awry. Yeah, and that Western Let us Canada not hope. one is very scary. 
Yeah, especially since the Alberta teams are not scrubs this year. Edmonton <laughs> actually looks like a competent hockey team. Calgary is a tough team to play against, and I'm sure Vancouver would like some revenge on Sunday, November 10th. But as you said, the Devils have this bizarre winning streak against them, so eh, we'll see. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's weird because Edmonton is one of those teams like Boston that basically has one line that scores anything, but they score so much that they've been winning the vast majority of their games. Like, I'm looking at the score sheets for the Boston Bruins, for example, and it's literally just Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak scoring goals. Well, in the same, just like Boston, Edmonton has not given up a lot of goals either. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, not that you're going to ever confuse Tuka Rask with Miko Koskinen, but they've only allowed 21 goals in nine games. That's a pretty good rate. And Edmonton, just as importantly, we're right, again, we're recording about a, we're talking about a game late in, two and two and a half weeks on October 21st. But nevertheless, you know, they're four and zero to start the season at home. They're seven, one and one as we're talking about them. Of course, they're, they play nine games. Of course, they're seven, one and one in their first nine games. But the point is, is that this isn't your, this isn't your older brother's Edmonton Oilers. I'm about to say, this isn't your dad's Oilers, but your dad's, your dad's Oilers, Oilers killed everyone. <laughs> killed everyone. So your older brother's Oilers are like, Oh man, these are the saddest bunch of sad sacks we ever seen play the ice. Now it's like, oh hey, they may actually have figured things out, or at the very least, they may have figured it out enough to not be a bunch of pushovers. But nevertheless, you're absolutely right, Dan. Those trips to Western Canada are tough. Just ask the Carolina Hurricanes, who just suffered in California. Just ask the Philadelphia Flyers, who went windless in their trip to Alberta. It's not going to be an easy ride. So. Whatever the Devils can get now to help stave off any future disappointments would be massively helpful. But nevertheless, they got to get points just because they need them. They're still in the hole, so to speak. But they won't be in last. They will not be in last anytime in the next day or so. Oh, yeah. We've got to take the victories as they come, as we've learned for these last couple seasons. So Every, every small step matters. Yeah. Hopefully the good vibes keep rolling. Uh, we'll keep delivering content either way. So um, feel free to tweet at us. Uh, make sure you read all about the jersey. And if you have any suggestions for um, topics for us to discuss, again, we'll, we'll probably try to keep it uh, basically halfway summarizing the week and then uh, touching upon some other topics in the latter half of each episode. Again, that's subject to change, but if you guys have any suggestions for um, things you want to hear us discuss or things, questions you have generally about the team, we'd love to take a crack at answering them. So uh, comment on the, the post with the podcast, tweet at us, uh, find us online. It's easy enough to do, and yeah, we'll be happy to do so. Absolutely. We always appreciate your input. And as a hockey blogger, I can tell you, we always appreciate the input, unless you're a hater or a loser, of which there are many, of which case nobody appreciates you. (laughs) That'll bring us to the end of the episode before we go too far off the rails. So again, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day or night whenever you choose to listen to this and let's go Devils. Go Devils.